the scripture bill read said that after the children of Israel had um, crossed the Jordan River on dry ground, then he was instructed them to go back into the center of the creek, into the river, and pick up a stone from each tribe and carry it <clears throat> and build a monument to what God had done for them. They'd come across the desert. You know, their parents had seen the parting of the Red Sea, but they had not. This was a new generation. And now the Jordan River would be parted and they would go across to the Promised Land on dry ground, on dry ground. And so they went back into the river and they picked up a stone and they built a monument. And the reason for that monument was to remember not what they had done, but what God had done for them in taking them across the Jordan, across the trial, the last obstacle that they faced before entering the Promised Land. And so they built a monument. If you've got, <clears throat> if you've got your bulletin, I love the artwork that Silas did for us. There is the memorial stones, and the nation has gone on ahead, but the birds are still there. <laughs> and they're, they're looking at that memorial stone going, boy, this is a good perch. <laughs> I love it. Thank you, Silas, for doing that. Thirteen years ago, <clears throat> some families came here to worship in peace. There was a little bit of a difficulty going on, some hardships were going on, and it was distracting, and they wanted to find a place where they could just worship. And so they came here, right here to where we're sitting, and they just worshiped God. And then as things progressed, some other people came, and then some other people came, and and pretty soon there was quite a few people coming. And uh, they found that as they came here, it was a place of peace. That God had provided a refuge in the midst of a storm. And that was precious. Very, very precious. Well, out of that, it was late in the year, like in September, and we realized um, that it was going to rain. And that uh, if we were going to continue to worship in peace, we either had to get a really big tent or we needed to find someplace else to worship. And so, um, by God's grace, the Adventist church was available to us and we moved to there. Over the next two years, there was a task force of men that met Merlin June's home to prayerfully consider what God was doing. Not, there was never a man or a woman that planned on creating a church of having a new fellowship. This was something obviously God was doing. And so the concept over that next two years was, God, what are you doing? We want to hear your voice. And out of that, we came up with the philosophy of what Oak Grove is. And that um, it wanted to be a place that served God. And in doing so, served people. And one of the things that came out of that early on was a heart for those of God's people that are serving on the mission field. Right early on, we just set out baskets, if some of you will remember, on the tables to collect for our missionaries that were still in the field. And that became a heartthrob of what Oak Grove Bible Fellowship was all about. And it still is. You know, some of you that have come later have recognized that we don't have a paid staff, that everybody just kicks in and does this. And one of the driving forces behind that was that concept that 
if God's going to supply all our needs, which he's promised to do, he'll probably supply what we need to fellowship together. And that frees up resources to go into the field. And I don't know what our percentages is. Last time I looked, you know, over, I think it's over 60% of our budget goes into missions, which is pretty phenomenal. So we come back here annually to remember what God had done. This is Oak Grove's memorial stone, these trees around us. What does a tree and a rock have in common? Well, nothing unless you consider the concept this is where a people met God and God did something miraculous for them and met their need. And it touches our hearts still and it's so good to be back here to remember those kind of things. So what is in a name? You know, that task force considered a lot of name. You know, we are not Oak Grove Bible Church. We are not the Church of the Woods, anything like that. There was a lot of thought and a lot of prayerful thought put in to the name because the name conveys who we are. Just like if you're named Miller, chances are your family was milling. If you're a cooper, you were probably at one time a barrel maker in your family. And names carried meanings more in the old days more so than now, but our name carries a very special meaning. We wanted in our name to remember what God had done. Not that there were a bunch of people who decided to go out and start a new church, but this was a, a miraculous work that God had done. And so we wanted to remember where it started. So the memorial of who we are is found in the very first part of our name, Oak Grove. That, and this is the grove right here. <clears throat> you know, the Rorks probably won't forever own it, but it will always be Oak Grove and where it started. And so today, as you enjoy the fellowship, look around at this place. Because like the Jordan River, this is where God did a real work, right here. You're standing on it. And just like if you go to camp, you can walk up the hill and you can see where God did a work. He's all about parting rivers and stopping fires and giving places of peace. And when we're in his grove, we are safe, aren't we? In the fellowship of his grove. We wanted also not to necessarily say Oak Grove Christian Fellowship or Oak Grove Christian Church. Because unfortunately in today's society in America, there are a lot of people that name the name of Christian that did not follow Jesus Christ. And we wanted to be more specific in that, that the Bible, God's word, was at the heart and the root of what Oak Grove is all about. It was really interesting, just about two weeks ago I was traveling and I heard a message on KVIP and a guy was, he said, you know, Christians are cowards in church anymore. They never talk about sin. Pastors are chicken to talk about sin. Well, this church is not chicken to talk about sin. We may be a bunch of turkeys, but we're not chicken. Okay, we have because that topic alone is the very reason Christ came to pay the price for our sin. And so if we don't talk about that, we're not talking about the gospel. And so we have the courage because God's word 
talks about sin and the remedy for it, our Savior Jesus Christ. The Bible is the, not only authority, it's the living word of God. And I know, sadly, of Bible studies that do not use the Bible in their Bible study. They will use somebody else's thoughts, a book or something like that, or a video or something like that, that somebody is telling us what the Bible says, which is very interesting, and a lot of those are very accurate and they're very on, but there's no power there. But there's power in God's word to change lives. And we always want to stand there and proclaim the Bible, the truth, God's truth. Because when people hear the word of God, God's spirit works in their hearts. It doesn't do any good to hear my word. You've got to hear God's word. So we wanted Bible in there. And then fellowship. Why are we a fellowship and not a church? Well, theologically and biblically, the church is everybody that believes in Jesus Christ. That is the church. And if you believe in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you are part of the church, his church. And it does not matter if you're a Methodist or a Presbyterian or a Holy Roller or whatever. If you name the name of Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you are part of his church. So we wanted something that said, okay, we're part of the church, but we're something not else, or just and not even different, but unique. Okay, we're a unique part of the church. We are Oak Grove Bible Fellowship. Now, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book we're studying, 1 John. And let me read for you just a little bit of how John starts that book in 1 John chapter 1. And this is what he says, beginning in verse 3. 1 John 1, 3, and on down to 7. He says... What we have seen and we heard, we proclaim to you that you may also have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so our joy may be made complete. And this is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there's no darkness. If we say we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and the truth is not in us. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and his blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. The concept of fellowship goes deeper than just a community. A popular term in Christian culture right now is Christian community. And that carries with it a concept of I come in as an individual into this community, and you come in as an individual, and so we all come together and we form this community. But that is shallow compared to what the fellowship that is biblical fellowship and a fellowship with God eternal. Because when we come into his fellowship, what he's saying there is when you accept Jesus Christ as your personal savior and your neighbor does and your neighbor and your wife and your spouse, uh, spouse and, and kids and everything like that, all of a sudden you become blood family. We are children born of him. We become family. Now, like every family, we're imperfect, and we don't do everything right. But 
that's not the point. The point is that we are blood family. We are born again into his family. And if you, if you go back to the book of Acts, and I want to share some more of this next Sunday as we finish our study in John. But in the book of Acts, after Peter delivers that amazing uh, sermon in, in chapter 2, here's a brief definition of what this fellowship, this eternal fellowship is all about. And this is what he says in verse 41 of chapter 2 of Acts. So then those who had received his word were baptized and there were added about 3,000 souls. And here's the fellowship part. <clears throat> this is what it looks like. And they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. There is, the apostles' teaching is God's word. They're devoted to God's word. The teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer, celebrating communion, praying for one another. And everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together, and they had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions, and were sharing them with all, as anyone had need. And day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number. They basically loved one another. They loved one another. And that's what the fellowship means in our name, that we love one another. And we exemplify that in a number of ways. We exemplify it by caring for our missionaries. We exemplify that by home Bible studies and coming together for fellowship and prayer. We exemplify it by the shepherds groups that go out from the men and serve in the community. We've, we've, we exemplify it by why we, what we do on Sunday morning. The prayer groups that you ladies have and coming together like that and the women's retreats. <clears throat> of being there for one another, of lifting one another up, of praying for one another. <clears throat> That's what fellowship is all about, family. That's why oftentimes they say, good morning, family, because what we're saying is we are blood-related because of the blood of Jesus Christ. He's called us into his family. He's called us into a relationship with him. And so we come back to this place to remember his calling. And it's a special time that we're able to do this. I want to leave you with this thought. <clears throat> there are probably in all of our lives, there are Jordan rivers that need to be crossed. And I don't know today what your Jordan River may look like. But when you read the scriptures and you think about that moment when they stood on that bank and across the river was the promised land, they didn't know what was in store for them. They knew God was leading them. And by faith, they went across Thirteen years ago, as we stood here, we knew not what God had in store and what he would build and what he would do. But the people that stood here 13 years ago took a step in faith and went forward trusting him. And the result has been Oak Grove Bible Fellowship. Some of us have gone on to our reward or not with us anymore. Some of us have been called away 
distant places. We've lost several families we love dearly that have moved out, like Chuck and Lois and Dave and Ruth and others. Some of you have just come, and this is the first time here. And we want you to remember, remember this day what God has done. Not only 13 years ago, but right now. And so if you're facing a Jordan River in your life, remember by this grove and the memorial stones outside the Jordan River that he is faithful to take you through. So as Joshua told him, be strong and courageous, for your Lord, your God, goes with you wherever you may go. Do not be terrified. Step out in faith. Do what God has called you to do, regardless of where it takes you, regardless of the cost, because he is faithful, and he will see you across the river as he saw us move out from this grove. And we are all recipients every one of us here of his love and grace and the fellowship that we share because of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day that we can come and remember and have fun together and enjoy one another and celebrate fellowship as a family because of the truth of your word and what you started here at Oak Grove. Bless our time, and we just give you thanks, and just bless those that are going to come and share now as they share what you have done in their lives. And may you be honored and glorified in everything we do. Amen. He was talking that um, God is the God of stories. You know, when he taught, um, when Jesus came and he taught, he taught in stories. And he gives us this book, which is a book of stories that kind of weaves together to form one big story. And we've just heard uh, the story of Oak Grove, and now uh, we're going to hear from some individuals, uh, and they're going to share with us how, how their story is kind of, uh, God is working in, in their story. So we're going to hear from Nathan uh, Warner first. Nathan, if you want to come up. So I'm the youngest, I get to go first. All right, yeah, that's a little loud, but... Um, so I'm sure you guys um, you guys heard via prayer chain, and I made a short announcement before I ducked out uh, at the beginning of summer that um, I headed um, this summer over up to Montana to work at a Bible camp for the entire summer, like 11 weeks, I think it was, um, in more of a media videography position. So um, I think a lot of you guys are probably wondering, how did that even happen? Um, how did I hear about this camp and whatnot? So I think I'm going to go into that and then kind of share about my experiences. Um, so I've worked at Mount Meadows for a long time, probably since I was like 12. So that's kind of like the only camp I've actually really known. And then one of my friends who actually went to Mount Meadows, I think a few years ago, moved up to Montana. And then from there, she went to Arrowhead Bible College, which is actually at the same location as, as this camp. So she had been trying to get me to work at this camp for like two years. And I said, no for like two years and I always gave like that you know line you know, I'll pray about it yeah so <laughs> and then I think so about January uh she told me about this videography position because they were trying to hire a second videography um person because they do daily videos for some of these camps which is a lot to do with one person so they wanted to get a second one and then that was in the midst of like winter camps at Mount Meadows. So I said I'd pray about it and then forgot 
And then she texted me again. She says, hey, I gave the media coordinator your number. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> I actually got to start praying about this now. So I actually started praying about it, met with Felipe, and um, we prayed about it and talked about it for like probably two or three months. And so then I think I finally made the decision around April to like start working on heading out there. So it was kind of a big jump. I felt called to go out there because um, it was just, I felt I think comfortable at Mount Meadows and that's, I wanted to kind of like expand myself a little bit and push myself a little bit. I didn't know anybody at this camp. I got picked up at the airport by total strangers. Um, so that was a new experience. It was just definitely a culture shock. Also going to some place I've never been to, I have no idea anything about Montana geography or where anything is. So now I actually know a little bit, but so when I arrived, I actually knew nobody. Um, think for the first four weeks of June um, I was working on uh, videography for horse camps because they have like a horsemanship camp kind of deal so they'll take like 14 campers and they'll have a camp like focused on um, horsemanship and how to take care of a horse and how to ride and whatnot and my job was to make their job harder by filming everything so Steve where are you at where are you so Steve what would you so if I had an insect about this big that flew around with a camera, how do you think your horses would respond? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I had an insect about this big. It's a lot of people know it as a drone. Um, I would fly it around and film a little bit. And one time I was flying one around and they have a particular Arabian who, uh, he's a character and doesn't like anything that's not, yeah, he's great. He made my job harder. So I was flying my drone and I was flying it up the hill, like following them on a trail ride, and I look up and I see a horse just jumping down the hill without a rider. <laughs> so I took the drone back, and apparently it wasn't my fault. It was a radio that tripped him out, but still not exactly the best. But so I created like weekly videos for them and hung out with them, um, worked with the kids a little bit. Um, so that was my job for the first four weeks, just to make weekly videos and stuff like that. Um, did a little bit of staff stuff here and there, but. For the most part, that was my job. And then, I, like, over the entire summer up to that point, we I knew there was a shortage of counselors. Um, so about the week before their main camp started, because they only have four, like, main camps, and those for the four weeks of July. So they'll have um, a velocity camp, which is a camp from, like, 8 to 18 as far as age goes, and that's um, only foster kids. So anyone from a foster kid, like, foster background, they'll, like, bring them all to this camp. Then they've got high school, then junior high, then a kid's camp, which is like the equivalent of junior camp at Mountain Meadows. So I got told a week before Velocity started that I was counseling for that, which is kind of, I wasn't mentally prepared for that going into this because my job was videography. So I didn't think I'd going to have to like delve into that side of things a little bit. So Monday came around, I got my seven, eight to 10 year old kids um, all at once. I had two troublemakers that were great, um, but it was a, that was probably like definitely the most emotionally taxing and probably not, probably physically not as much, but definitely emotionally taxing weeks because just of all the situations and um, I think the steadfastness that was required, um, I think on Thursday, by Thursday night I was just kind of exhausted and the, I was eating dinner with a bunch of maniacs and I think one person was making a green bean puree, another one was burping his ABCs, another one, it was fantastic. Not ready for parenthood at all. 
but yeah, after that, um, I definitely slept a lot that weekend. And then I was, uh, counseling again for high school camp, which is also again, not my job, but here I was again at counseling. And I think I had one of the best group of boys ever. That was definitely what I needed after velocity. Um, so I ended up with, I think, mostly freshmen and sophomores, but there are a ton of great kids. One of them was actually from Truckee, California, so that was kind of cool just to have some other Californian up there a little bit just to know what I was talking about when I'd refer to anything from California, like in and out and stuff like that. <laughs> so, yeah, that was really fun. Um, let's see, I got notes, but I can look at. So it was a great group of guys. I'm still in contact with a few of them. It's pretty hard because not all of them had phones and stuff, but... It was really kind of interesting because they were also into photography and video and stuff like I was. So on Wednesday afternoon, we had like a photo shoot, which was pretty fun. And we actually got some of those into some of the videos. But yeah, these this group of guys was great. And so I think after I'd counseled for two weeks, I got thrown back into my actual job. But this time I was by myself and doing the job that they wanted two people to do. And I didn't have any training on how to do this job by myself. So that was a little bit um, strenuous and probably like the hardest week I had because that was also around the time that the car fire started. So like a lot of, I think, stress like hit me up there too because I can only see like the worst videos and stuff like that that are being posted. And I just see like, oh, there's a giant fire behind the like Sundial Bridge and I don't know where the fire is exactly and trying to find accurate maps just stresses me out. And when I can't find the accurate maps, I get more stressed out and look for more accurate maps. And it's just a cycle that takes me up to two in the morning. I'm supposed to be working. But so after that, I think just along with all the stress of doing the job all by myself and the hardware difficulties, the yeah, junior high was a rough week, but it, it happened. And I think the next week was like kids camp. And then we actually got to do the job with my partner, which helped so much. Now I understand why they wanted two people in the first place. But and then I think, yeah, like the realization that the summer was almost gone by that point kind of hit me because I was like eight weeks in and I only had three more weeks with these people that I kind of got to spend a lot of time with because I'm up there and I don't have, I'm at the mercy of anyone who has a car because I don't have a car. So if I want to go anywhere, I have to find someone who does. And that's pretty difficult because there's not very many people with cars up there. So mostly I was stranded at camp, which is not the worst thing. But And then I think August, they actually have two more horse camps. So we did those. And then the first horse camp in August actually had my two troublemakers from Velocity in it. So if I thought I was safe and everything, nope, I wasn't. They came back. And I wasn't counseling for that, but uh, my friend Corey was. And I decided he probably needed a little help at night trying to get them to tone down a little bit. So I like, I stayed in there with them at night while doing the video a little bit. But I think the last night, or the last morning, I woke up and I saw this guy, Tim Timothy, he was one of the troublemakers, and look over and he's covered in ashes and soot. And I'm like, what? And he says, oh, I face planted in the fire pit last night. And I'm like... All right, whatever. So we took him to the creek and washed him off. That was just like, I think one of the most surprising things I would have woken up to at that point. But yeah, then after that, we had, I think we had, see, they have like guest groups come in every now and again. But so they had like uh, ADA, which is I think American Diabetes Association. So they like rented out the camp then the the week after the horse camps. And I was working, by then I was just working on a staff video and packing up. But I think... One of the think, think back looking back at it, it's just like definitely it was a b- great time for me to grow a lot. 
So, because I was able to definitely push myself past where I'd been before. And then in addition to that, I was able to kind of gain a more of a, uh, I guess, accepting where God has me and where he has me working at the time. Because working in media is not exactly the most, I think, I would rather be like hands-on working. And I understand that. I can't, not everyone's going to be able to do that because I look at everyone working and I'm videotaping them working. And it's just like, I know no one appreciates, I don't, personally, I don't appreciate being videotaped while I'm working because it's just kind of, you know, you guys know how it is. It's like, all right, come on, pick up a shovel and do it too. So, yeah, it's like, I understand. It's like, it was, that was one struggle I kind of had is because I know there's tension when there be people being videotaped. They always look at me like, why aren't you working too? And I think it's also just being comfortable where I'm, where I'm working because counseling was definitely more of the on the forefront and media is kind of the impact is like less seen while you're doing it a little bit and you have to kind of just pray about it and know that God's using what you're doing to like further the ministry in itself but I think looking back on it it was a really really great summer and now I've got even more uh, I guess um internal conflict as I don't know what I'm going to do next summer. So um, I guess prayer for that would be really appreciated. And I thank you guys really a whole lot for praying over me, but during uh, while I was counseling and while I was up there, it was definitely felt when I needed it, but thank you guys. Thank you, Nathan, for sharing. Um, sometimes God, uh, calls you to step out in faith and says, hey, here's an opportunity to do that. Um, and like Nathan uh, said yes to that. Sometimes God puts you in a situation that you didn't ever expect to be in, and um, and God calls you to, I think, just look to him, and it's, I think, a stretching experience. And uh, Tyler Barnes is going to come and share about what his summer was like for us. So thank you, Tyler. I like to move around. So um, my name's Tyler. I'm Jan and Toby's son, and unfortunately Molly's brother. Uh, <laughs> now, um, so I've been a firefighter for six years now, um, and Josh wanted me to come up and kind of talk about uh, being a firefighter and how it, um, how my faith interacts with that. And so, um, for those of you who don't know, I was on the car fire uh, a couple months ago. Uh, we were some of the first resources assigned to the blow-up, and we were pulled out of our hotels in Reading at 2 in the morning, um, got out there, went immediately to work. Um, I'm from Old Shasta, so it was difficult to see my uh, my hometown uh, being destroyed pretty much piece by piece. I knew, like, houses that were going up, they would be on the radio and say, hey, we're up by the split-off house, you know, it's bring the engine up here. And I was like, oh, I know, I know who that is, that house is going. And uh, so throughout the day, it was like seeing these landmarks that had been uh, really important to me going up. And uh, it was a tough fire, extreme fire behavior. We were in triple digits with uh, single-digit uh, humidity levels. So you'd see these spots develop that would immediately run into the trees. And we'd try to catch them, but we'd have to eventually retreat because um, we just couldn't make any headway on it. It wasn't safe. So um, towards the end of the day, we got an assignment to go protect this house. And we all kind of looked at it and thought, yeah, this is a good place. This is, it's got a wide area under normal, we were all thinking normal, normal circumstances, this would be a good house to be at. Um, 
So we all collectively decided what our plan for defending this house was going to be. We were going to put some fire on the ground once the fire got closer and fire out around us, kind of cool it off with some hose and some tools, and then once it passed, we'd go to the next house and save it. Um, we were there about 30 minutes um, watching the fire just coming at us. And uh, when we got there, the fire was about 1,000 feet away. It was, wasn't moving too quick, but it was per, still pretty intense. Um, we turned around, and all of a sudden, it closed about half that distance. We decided, okay, let's, let's conduct our plan. Let's start working. Um, we pulled the hose off. I grabbed a tool. Our engineer grabbed the drip torch. And in that one minute it took, the fire had closed another few hundred feet. I mean, it was moving really quick. And so I looked at it and thought, you know, I better just watch this thing because something's not right. The fuel's thinned out. The guy had done a lot of work, but yet the fire behavior wasn't cooling off at all. So I, uh, I just stood there while they started started putting some fire on the ground, and Brian was cooling it off the hose. And uh, they'd gone maybe 30 feet, so another 30 seconds. And now the fire's within 100 feet of us. And it was crowning. It started running through the trees. Um, pretty much as explosive. It's called area ignition, where just everything started going within seconds. And so I was like, okay, I've been doing this for a while. We can't be here. I went to Brian and said, I think we got to go. He's like, yeah. So I said, well, we're going to cut the hose. We're going to get in the engine. We're going to drive out here. He said, okay. And when we turned around, all the trees nearest, nearest the engine had started going up. So we could no longer go that way. Um, so I was like, follow me. We went around the garage. So the garage would take the heat. so We wouldn't get burned. And again, that was another 20 to 30 seconds. And in that time frame, the sky disappeared, it, we were surrounded by fire, and it was nothing but pitch black around us. Um, my skin was burning, I feel my nose and ears burning, um, I know Brian was getting burned. We looked down the driveway, it was our escape route, um, that was a wall of fire going across the driveway. We looked at the engine, maybe we get in there for some refuge. Uh, the back hose flaps were burning off, and uh, there was fire underneath the engine, and I thought, okay, we can't go that way. And uh, I looked around me, just saw nothing but fire, and thought, okay, I'm going to die here today. And uh, I looked over and kind of picked outside. I was like, okay, that's, we're going to get our shelters. We're going to deploy over there. That's probably our best bet. I saw Brian. He reached down. He had his hand on his shelter. He was ready to go, too. And just then, Scott um, kind of ran through the fire almost, jumped in the engine, started hitting the air horn, and I thought, okay, well, I don't want to get any closer to what's burning because I'm 70 feet away, and I'm still, like, burning right now. So I waved him forward. He pulled forward, and we jumped in. I threw my tool off, and we waited a couple minutes for the rest of the fire to dissipate, and we drove out of there. Um, and so we got treatment. We all had to go to Mercy. A couple of us had to go to Davis, but we were all okay. Um, you know, and, and Josh kind of wanted me to talk about how this maybe changed or affected my faith, but... In reality, it didn't change anything for me because um, I, my faith and my relationship with God developed in 2004 in Fallujah, you know. So I've kind of always known that, you know, we always we only have a certain amount of time here. This is temporary here. Um, and you got to be ready at any moment. And I've seen people um, survive things they shouldn't have in Fallujah and just in our position as firefighters. Um, when I replay it, trying to think, well, what could we have done differently? And one of the chiefs has said this, and I think it's really good, is that we as firefighters, we always like to say when we see an accident or we see somebody get hurt, well, well, they must have made a mistake. 
you know, they must have messed up because it couldn't happen to me because I make good decisions. But the fire, the fire does what the fire is going to do, and you don't always know what it's going to do. No one's expecting a 70-mile wind gust at that time that was going to create a fire tornado. And so I've replayed it in my head, and we all talked about it, and there was really any other place we'd been standing. We could have been standing here. We could have grabbed the hose differently, been here, standing here. And in my head, every other option we could have chosen would have ended with someone probably dead or permanently injured. Either a hot blast of air could have gone their airway, and that's usually what kills firefighters and wildland fires, the hot air to their lungs. And so, you know, we all survived, though. And there's really, you know, no other explanation for it other than the Lord protected us because he knew what, what needed to be done, and we just happened to be in the right place at the right time where it all blew up and had it all happened. And so, you know, for me, I kind of live my life. Um, my two real principles is, is have faith because the Lord's going to protect you. You know, he's protected me for, for, through war and through fires, and um, be ready. Just be ready, you know. Um, I pray a lot. I pray if, if I'm sitting around the dinner table with the guys having a good time, I say, you know, I say I thank the Lord for having this good time and being in fellowship with my friends. And I'm having a tough day with tough assignments. You know, I ask the Lord for strength and guidance, and, you know, I try to just always be ready to meet him. Um, thank you. Be ready. I love that. Um, I think of that hymn, How Firm a Foundation, and one of the stanzas goes, the, the flame shall not hurt thee, I only design thy dross to consume and thy gold to refine. So thank you for sharing that, Tyler. Um, the last person we're going to hear from is Pat Vaughn. Uh, Pat, could you come up? So I think I need to put this down. Can you hear me? Well, good. Um, good morning. It's kind of hard to be the last one, but um, I've enjoyed everything so far, and I hope this goes well for all of us, mostly me. Um, most of you know my story that um, I have severe vision loss um, and am legally blind, and um, I have was diagnosed with macular degeneration in my 50s, which is early because it is an old people's um, illness, you might say. And um, I have been under the care of um, an ophthalmologist uh, for all these years. And, and um, in 2010, um, I'm a reader and I belong to a book club and I love books and I was having real trouble reading my book. And it was different than anything I'd experienced. And um, I could see the words, but I couldn't really recognize them. And I had an appointment with a doctor uh, in the next few days and told him my story. And he said, well, we'll examine you and see what's going on. There are two forms of macular degeneration. Um, there's the dry, which I had, I was diagnosed with early, and the wet. And the dry is um, rather slow moving, and the wet is on the fast track. 
it used to be that if you had wet macular degeneration, you lost your central sight and you could lose it at any time. Um, a few years prior to uh, 2010, um, science learned that the drug that they use for colon cancer to treat um, irregular um, blood vessels to stop bleeding um, would work on the eyes as well. And the doctor told me that was where I was, that I, I had the dry as well, or the wet as well, and um, those were my two options. If I didn't take the shots, then I would definitely lose my central sight, which means you have the peripheral sight. I don't really understand how it actually works, um, but definitely, you, you know, you don't see faces, you can't read, um, you can't see what you're doing, you can't sew, you can't, you know, so many things. We use our eyes for more things than we think we do. Um, so, of course, I chose to get the shots and started that day uh, getting shots in both of my eyes. It sounds really horrid, um, but your eyes are medicated with lidocaine and um, you feel the pressure but not the pain. And um, still, it was a... Um, kind of a depressing thing to happen to me and not knowing how this was going to work because the doctor said it doesn't work on everybody but most people it does. The next morning I got up and I'm thinking about this and I got out my devotional um, Jesus Calling and I turned to March 6th which was that day and read it and it was just as if God was talking to me and um, knowing exactly what was going on in my life at that moment. He said that I was to walk with him and that he would go ahead and prepare the way so that I could follow him. And and that he would never let go of my right hand. And further on, it's not a very long um, message, but a couple of sentences later, he said that I am not constricted by time or space. I am anywhere and everywhere at any time. And you can imagine how that message lifted my spirits and I felt his presence with me. And this has been true for a long time, more so since, you know, I've had macular degeneration and losing my sight and um, trying to cope with new things and living alone and uh, I like living alone, but sometimes it's nice to have someone there to ask a question. But I talk to the Lord, and I ask Him the questions, and somehow He answers me. 
And so I went to the store in the next few days and bought my first electronic reader, a Nook, and, um, and found that, you know, this was good. I, I could have black background and white print, and that really helps make things pop. And, of course, I can adjust the uh, size of the print as well and choose the font. And so as long as I can read, I'm pretty content. And 2015, um, I, uh, no, it was 16, it was Good Friday, and I went to um, the Civic to uh, the 3 o'clock service with a friend of mine, and we had chosen that one because um, we thought it would be lightly attended, being in the middle of the day, and there were three others. And it was very busy. The parking lot was nearly full, um, and we had gone early, you know, anticipating some problems that way. And um, we got in and we're in the middle aisle where you can either go up, you know, for seats or down. And my friend was ahead of me and I had her hand and people were pushing and so forth and we got disconnected. And then all of a sudden I realized that I couldn't see her. We'd passed an usher as we were walking in, and he was just observing the flow of people and being sure that you know all was in order. And um, I stood there and I started thinking, well, how will I find her in all this uh, mess of people? And furthermore, how will I get home? And I just panicked, and I, I'm not a person to be that frightened, but I was literally just trembling all over, and I just felt frozen in that spot. And the usher saw me standing there, and he spoke to me, and he said, are you all right? And I said no, and told him why, and he said, well, do you know her cell number? And I said, I do, but I, I can't think of it at the moment. I couldn't think of anything except I wanted to go home. And he said, well, okay, just stay where you are. And I said, I will. And then I remembered something that I had heard or read, um, that if you are full of fear, repeat these three words until your fear is gone. And so I did. And the words were, I trust Jesus. And on the third utterance of those words, it was like a bowl of water flowed over my head and my body and completely washed all that fear away. I was instantly calm, even serene. And you know, when those things happen to us and we're scared to death, even after the trauma is over and things are settled and you, you need not fear any longer, you still are trembling, you still are a little weak-kneed, the pulse is a little bit too fast. You know, you just 
can't seem to settle down right away. But I had none of that because Jesus was there with me and he took every bit of it away and I was perfectly calm. And it was the most amazing experience of my life. I mean, he has blessed me many times and done many things that were amazing to me, particularly in these last years of my life. But that was the most spectacular and amazing. And, and it just tells who he is. We are his children and we disappoint him time and time again and yet he still loves us just as those of you with children have the same experience they disappoint you sometimes but they are precious to you and you couldn't love them anymore so I feel so blessed to be where I am in life um, I'm so blessed to be in this body of believers and um, I love Steve's sermon that we are a family, a blood family because that's what it feels like to be in Oak Grove and I know the Lord is always with me and I trust him completely and I know that he will never let go of my right hand Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing, Pat. That was an amazing testimony. And I thank all of you um, that have shared uh, for doing so. And um, we're going to do something now that, uh, that Oak Grove is really good at, uh, or in a moment. Um, we're going to go eat. <laughs> um, I think of I think of uh, C.S. Lewis. I think he said something like, "The sun has not seen anything half so good as a family uh, sharing a meal and laughing together." And I think that's that's kind of a fitting uh, description of what we're about to do. Um, so a couple items of business. You've got uh, there's like 150 chairs here. Those are going to be the same chairs that you're going to sit at around the table. So there's some tables there they have no chairs. So if you want to sit and eat. Uh, grab the chairs that you're sitting at and then go take them over to the uh, to the tables um, so I think we are what time is it it's 1104 so Paul Warner is shooting for to have the tri-tip ready at 1115 so we've got a little bit of time just to kind of uh, get up and and uh, move over and have some fellowship time um, let me uh, oh you know what I had a note here I forgot um, Churchill, I think, wanted to introduce somebody. Do you want to introduce him, Churchill? Go ahead. Lord, we, we thank you for this group of people uh, that have uh, Christ-filled faces, Lord. and uh, We thank you for everybody that's here, Father God. Uh, thank you for the people that played uh, music uh, to just prepare our hearts for a message spoken, Lord, and the people that shared their testimony, God. I pray that you would... Uh, just bless our bless our food now, Lord, and uh, as as the kids are playing, Lord, keep us safe, and uh, just bless our time of fellowship. I pray in Jesus' name, Amen. <laughs>